You received a call from an inmate at Department of Corrections. This call will be recorded and monitored. If you wish to block any future calls of this nature, dial 7 now. To accept this call, press 5 now. To decline this call, hang up. Well, hello there, Lakeisha. How goes the battle? Okay. All right. All right. Wait, whoa. Suicide? Your roommate committed suicide? Drug overdose? Uh, you know, I'm really getting tired of drugs getting into these prisons. Yeah, I kind of figured as much. I mean, you appease a prison guard and they'll pretty much do anything you want. Ah, man, I know. Well, you know, I'm sorry that... What? <laughs> well, I know there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of, you know, you're forced to be in there with people that are pretty much uh, criminals and folks that just really don't do very well in society. So I can understand you not being happy with uh, your roommate, not liking your roommate, but okay, all right. I, there are people that uh, are in there, you wouldn't like them and they get out and you wouldn't like them. So. And the way I look at it, they're, they're different people inside prison than they are out. I've, I've gotten to know some really friendly people and once they get out, they turn into just little punks. And uh, I'm used to that. And uh, you are actually in a position to see them at their best because they want to please everybody and they're lonely and they don't want to isolate folks. But to be that, that mean and hateful, you, you, how, how can you expect any good to come of it? And then somewhere along the line, she was so depressed that she killed herself. Well, yeah, I can imagine that she did uh, get to know some of the guards really well. And, you know, that, that's human nature. We, uh, we're trying to survive. Inflation is really bad and the cost of living and uh, just surviving on a day-to-day -day basis on an honest income. And I just reconnected with some folks, well, at least one person out here, and, and she's she's staying out of jail. She's staying out of trouble, and I commend her on that. But she says it's really tough that she's always broke. And, uh, you know, if I had the opportunity to uh, hire all of these people and give them good pay, I really don't know if that would help. There's, there's so much involved in helping people to... Uh, live a life. I grew up very fortunate. I had a really good upbringing. I had all the resources that I needed. I had a very loving family. I had no reason to commit any crimes, no reason to stray from my, my path. And I was able to get good education and I was able to use it. And so I consider myself very fortunate. But those that were abused as a child, that didn't have uh, family support from uh, a broken family. That's something that's tough to overcome. And bringing a person out of prison and then suddenly trying to make up for all of that. You know, we could, we could limit our rights and ban our, our uh, 
weapons and, and uh, substance and all that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's not going to make up for this, this background. The only way to do that is counseling. Sit and talk with folks. And I imagine your, your roommate just didn't have that opportunity. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to people that go to counselors and just tell them what they want to hear. You know, this is what the counselor wants to hear. I'm going to say that. And for me, when I go talk to people, I'm going to tell them what I want to say. And, but for her, she probably played the system. You have 30 seconds remaining. Sad and depressed and lonely. And uh, prison isn't the best place to live, and it's not for everybody. And I guess she just couldn't handle it. But we'll never know because she's not here to tell us. Well, I, I hope things work out for you. I hope you get a nice cellmate that you can work with. And uh, thanks for giving me the call. And how's your daughter doing? Okay. Keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. Okay. Don't be a stranger. Remember to keep calling Thank me. Thank you for using inmate call. Goodbye. Hello. Welcome to AQS Inmate Call. And I'm your host, Joel Wilborn. And in this episode, I just want to kind of give you an idea of why I became a prison advocate. And uh, to give you a little background on some of the stuff that I do with my nonprofit. Now, when I uh, got out of college, I went into the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation and I was an undercover narcotics agent. I wanted to be a narcotics agent because I didn't like the effect that drugs were having on my community. I didn't use drugs and I had no desire for them. But a lot of my friends did, and a lot of the people in the community did. And I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and uh, one of the people, or I should say one of the groups of people that I was really fascinated with, the hippies, everything about them. And so uh, I would hang out with them, talk with them, but they were really into that sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And... Uh, some of the stuff was just destroying them. Now, the anti-war things and the protest and the man, you know, that kind of stuff, I was all for. And I did a lot of protests and marches and and uh, sit-ins and all that kind of stuff to uh, bring change. And it was things that I believed in. But the drugs, no. And so getting into this field of work wasn't, was invigorating for me and I just hit the ground running I wanted to get rid of all of those drug dealers and I wasn't thinking about the drug users I just wanted drugs off the street and one day on an undercover operation uh, I had an informant there a young lady I think she was in her early 20s maybe even a teenager and she was going to provide me with uh, drugs that I was asking for and uh, her source wanted her to wait with me in my car while he went to get the drugs. It was minimum face-to-face -face contact with something like this. 
And so uh, she set me up and got everything all ready and we're sitting in the car. And I decided to ask her why she was in this line of work. And her answer was just fascinating. And, you know, and I was wired so everybody was hearing it. And I guess it wasn't really, you know, that, that my team wasn't really surprised what she said. But I was because I hadn't heard the real reason people got into that. It wasn't for the, the money and for the power and for the prestige or the, the community respect or the fear, things that you usually see on TV shows. She was, uh, she, she had a very rough childhood, a very rough life. And she didn't know the proper way to cope. And since I never been an addict on anything it was new to me and I would do that with all of the people that I was investigating I would ask them why are you doing this and so one day I, I met a woman she came she well she called me and since I was a low person on the, on, on the pecking order there I got the call because none of the other agents wanted to take this type of call. And, and, and the lawyer was trying to extort her, telling her that if he if she gave him um, $10,000, I think, that uh, he could make all these charges and stuff go away. And uh, he was more or less saying, I know the kind of person you are. You can get that kind of money. And so she contacted the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. And I got the the uh, the, the um, case. And so I had I went in as one of her friends or something did investigation as, of this attorney, but he was pretty much wise to what was going on. So we couldn't do um, anything else with her. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, we couldn't catch this. It looked like somebody gave him a heads up. It was might have been an internal uh, leak or something. And she was more or less saying, well, I have no place to go, no money. I'm living out of my car with my kid. And that just that changed the entire dynamic. So I told her you know, I had this little mobile home right outside of Nashville. And so she moved in with me. And then when the TBI got word of it, they just, uh, they went ballistic. And so I was fired, but she was still living there with her kid. And I developed a bond. Eventually we got married and uh, she was under investigation. That's why she needed the uh, lawyer because she was arrested. And so she went to, to jail. And then eventually she went to prison and then she was uh, linking me to people that were in prison that were looking for help. And that's when I decided I'm going to help these folks. I'm going to get their story out there. And uh, one of the things that my ex told me was she said she was in jail and she had this prison guard who was hitting on her and just kind of liked her. And so when she would go in to take a shower, after she got out, he would show up. Oh, I'm just here to check on you. And, you know, of course, with a female being alone in a prison, completely under the control of the guards, she was very uncomfortable. And not too many people were listening to her anyway, because she was one of those people, you know. And uh, she said uh, what she decided to do was after she finished her shower, she would get out. And uh, after she clothed herself, then she'd turn the shower off. 
And sure enough, he would show up right there. And I thought, why do people have to do that? Why do we send these people to jail and they're treated like this by people that the public pays? And as I learned more and more stories about these clever ways that the people had to overcome things rather than go out and protest, something I was used to doing, you know, it just sparked. It just uh, it got me motivated. And the more I talked to other folks, the more I learned of all these different tactics they had to use. And the, the angrier I got at the system, because this wasn't something that was a necessity. It could be easily prevented. It just needed to go out. A lot of folks, they were mistreated so much, and they complain, and nobody listens, and so they just give up. So on one hand, guards who don't follow the policy and guards who have their own personal uh, wants and desires, they'll abuse the system. And then there's those who follow the rules, follow policy. That's fine. That's not the ones we mess with. And when you get these vulnerable people, these girls are going in and say, well, there's nothing I can do. He can do whatever he wants to me, and, I, and nobody's going to listen. They'll listen to him. And that's things we often hear, like who they're going to believe, you or this special agent with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. And having that kind of effect on the community, I like the fact that I can go to court, say my thing, and then these people could be arrested. But then again, I didn't think about what if I abused that? What if I went in and said all these things and everybody believed me, but not the person I was arresting? And since I was always on this side of the everything's okay line of thought, I had to rethink my things, my, my, my approach. I had to go in and I had to, just like the old saying, don't criticize the person who walked a mile in their shoes. I hadn't walked a mile in anybody's shoes, but I was criticizing. I was discriminating against people who were addicts. I was judging them. I was just doing everything I shouldn't have been doing. But this incident just kind of woke me up. So now that I'm into this field and I'm making progress, people are actually listening to folks. That's why I created the YouTube channel, so people can go into the channel and listen to testimony of these inmates. And the inmates could tell them, or tell all of us, how they're being treated. Now, Cindy Rhodes, when I'm working with for the inmate call, she's explaining some of the things that's happening to her. She's got a real good case. She could actually sue the DOC and win because the things they're doing to her, the things she's describing in there are wrong and they're improper, they're against policy and they're illegal. There's a, several people that I work with like that. Recently, I worked with Paula Gardner. Paula Gardner just won a, a $9.9 .9 million lawsuit against the uh, Department of Corrections. And Working with her, 
it was just all these things were just revealed and it could have been prevented and we're paying that money as as taxpayers and i don't want the department of corrections to think if we mistreat somebody we'll just pay the lawsuit move on something has to happen you know a 10 million dollar settlement for this what if it was 300 million dollars would the department of corrections do something the uh well i, I would say like a couple of years ago let's say a couple of years ago uh inmates in the prison system were making 42 cents an hour for the work they did now when they go buy something like a pack of top ramen you know we could probably pay a quarter for it or maybe less they were paying over a dollar and they were making 42 cents an hour so working two hours they can get one pack of top ramen and then they have to pay like 33 cents for a stamp to send an e-message they had to pay for their phone calls and the family had to come in and help out it's just more like a big money-making scam and they're paying all this money out for lawsuits and yet the inmates are suffering greatly they're working really hard just as hard as the rest of us and when it came to Congress, and this is in the state of Washington, they wanted to pay them the minimum wage. And, and Washington has one of the highest minimum wages in the, in the United States. So they're making, they're, they're asking them to pay minimum wage and then keep in contact, I mean, keep up with inflation. So uh, if a person in the state of Washington is making minimum wage in the prison, they can save up for when they get out. They can send money to their kids. They can uh, keep providing to the community because we want people to work and pay taxes and they'll be paying taxes. And then maybe they can go into a class during tax time and say, okay, you guys made uh, $25,000 last year. This is the type of taxes that came out and this is what you have to uh to pay and this is some deductions we can get up they could learn about this tax system because they're sitting in there they got nothing better to do right they could probably buy their own uh music their own um medicine and the family won't be tasked with providing for themselves plus the loved one so uh, someone who was providing for the family gets locked up let's say the wife has to go out and work she's helping pay for the husband she's helping pay for the family she's really having a hard time but if he could continue to make minimum wage and, and send money to the family probably send a whole lot more because he didn't have to pay the rent there he doesn't have to pay for uh, medical a lot of insurance and stuff and uh, he could help help his wife and his kids and help the community and it would make it a little more easier. But the Washington Congress said it was too expensive to pay them. So they upped the uh, minimum wage from 42 cents to a dollar. So now they're making a dollar an hour. So 
work eight hours, eight dollars a day. And as a prison reformist, an advocate, we need to change that. Either don't put them in the prison or give them that minimum wage. That way, when people are deciding on the, the sentence, they can look at some alternatives. In the county where I live, they wanted to build a new prison. And there were people that were really against that. That's not solving anything. We're just going to build this bigger prison and we're just going to be arresting more people. We need to cut down on the arrest. So when the people in the county decided, nope, we don't want a new, another prison, they had to come up with something else. And now they're educating the uh, police officers to go out there, assess the scene. Does this person need to go to prison? Is this person committing a serious crime that has to be put in jail and tried and and then sentenced for a long period of time? Can we offer some resources? Can we do some follow-up? I talked to people that said they, they prefer the, the home monitoring system, the ankle monitor. But when you get the ankle monitor, you have to pay for it. So a person who has an ankle monitor may be paying $600 a month or something for that. Which means the probation officer would watch this person, make sure this person got a good job, make sure this person checked in, and if the person didn't, then back to jail or prison. And when you have a single mother who was trying to make ends meet, got caught, got convicted, and accepts it. I broke the law. I got caught. I got sins. I accept that. But please don't keep me away from my kids. Let me help my kids. There's nobody else there for them. This ankle monitor, yeah, they would go out of their way to make sure they paid the monthly fee to keep it. They would follow the rules because they messed up. They went back. Now, one of the people I used to visit in prison, I, I asked her, why do you keep coming back to prison? And she was saying it was hard out there. She'd get out. It's tough to get a job, tough to make ends meet. She didn't trust her own decisions. But in prison, they tell you when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat, when to go see the doctor, when to take your medicine. It was just blah, 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 blah. Do this, do this, do this. And some folks, that really get some upset. I don't like people telling me what to do, especially those gang members. But for her, she enjoyed it. It gave her peace of mind. She's got out, kind of walked away from me. I tapped into her to see how she's doing. And now she's slowly coming back into my life. And I'm telling her, you're doing a good job. You're staying out. She says, it's really tough. It's tough staying on the up and up out here. And I'm helping her out the best I can. And... What I'm showing her is that there's people out there that help you. You don't have to go into selling drugs. You don't have to go into getting high. You don't have to jump off a bridge. And will it work? I don't know. Everybody is different. I'm not going to group everybody into one group. You can't say all gang members act like this. All serial killers act like a certain way. All uh, 
violent offenders come from the same mold because they don't. That's why we need counselors. When a person goes in, they immediately need to be assessed. When Paula Gardner went into prison, she had all of the uh, features that could lead to cancer. They knew that because she had, when she was visiting the doctor and she told me, I took care of myself. I made my regular doctor visits. I did all the tests and, and all of the follow-ups that I needed. Get in the prison, they took all that away. They had looked at her records and say, oh yeah, she's she's got all of the, the uh, qualifications for cancer. We need to keep an eye on that. That's a red flag. I mean, when you see that in a medical report, you don't just say, mm, and pass it on. You contact people. You go to your supervisor. This person needs to be watched. And if they want to move this person, like according to her, she was in the prison, which was pretty much keeping an eye on her. And then they moved her to a, a, a jail so she can get some resources and some training. And that's where the mistake was made. If she'd been uh, tested, they would have caught it at that time, but they delayed the test and it was too late. And that's what really gets under my skin. People show the, the symptoms, show the, uh, the pre, pre prerequisites of a serious medical condition. Cindy Rhodes is the same way. She's showing all of this and they're just not paying attention to her. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I don't want her to, to catch cancer. I don't want her to die from falling. I don't want somebody to to get, put her in a chokehold and she never comes out of it. Stuff she's talking about in her, in her, uh, her readings and her uh, call. So that's why I'm doing this advocacy. I want people to be treated as human beings. And I want them to get out and stay out. You don't have to throw a bunch of money at them. You just need to give them attention. A lot of these folks need pen pals. They need it because it helps them. Others, the family needs some support. But the state, if they want to lock people up, and this is absolutely important, pay them minimum wage. Give them full medical coverage and fill these prisons, and I hope there's too many of them, but fill the prisons with educated, properly trained staff members. That's a whole lot cheaper than these lawsuits. Why pay $3 million to somebody who's dead or dying or who was permanently disabled because of their negligence? Why do that? Well, I hope you talk with your family and friends. I hope you take a take a look at your neighborhood and, and uh, your community leaders, listen to some of the debates and stuff that's going on, and read about prisons and what's going on. Watch some documentaries. And keep an eye on your friends and family and your loved ones because they may be showing signs of an illness. They may be showing signs of uh, maybe some depression or some uh, um, mental distractions that will cause them to turn to a life of drugs. 
And once you educate yourself on that, it's easy to spot that. And if you're wrong, that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with being wrong about somebody, but just don't hound them about it. You know, if you see somebody you think uh, is suicidal and you, you ask your friends and family to help and they do an intervention and it turns out the person wasn't, the person gets angry at you, it's more or less like, I, I cared. I took that chance. I failed. But what if you were? What if you were suicidal? And the only way to do that is to communicate. Well, have yourself a wonderful day and go out and make beautiful memories for tomorrow.